Hi, this is Rick Thompson, the pastor at Living Water Community Church. This is our podcast, and I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message builds your faith and blesses you. Please enjoy it. I want to welcome you. I want to welcome those who are joining us online. We're in a series, by now you should know, it's called The the Sweet Life. And if someone could bring me one up from the back, bring me up one of the, the things that we're going to be giving out at the end and just put it up here. It's based on Psalms 34, 8. Psalms 34, 8. And we should all have this memorized by now. It goes, no, let's go. One, two, three, read it. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. And so because it says taste and see that the Lord is good, I've been referencing, you know, today's nice and tasty candies with a message that correlates with the title of, of those candies. So far we looked at take five, which was on Easter, I believe. And, and thank you so much. And what I said was in that message that there are five important things that we can expect from the cross. The scripture tells us that cursed is every man who hangs on a tree. And Jesus took our curses on us. How many of you know you don't have to walk in curses anymore? Amen? Amen? He took the curse that we deserve. He took it on himself. And so even if people curse you, you don't have to receive that. You can, you can through, through prayer and faith, cast that stuff down. But there are a lot of benefits to walking in what Jesus did for us. And so I, I invite you to go back and listen to that. We talked about whoppers, whoppers, and, and, and I referenced lying and how to avoid walking in lies. We talked about butterfingers, how not to <laughs> develop spiritual butterfingers because God has a plan and a purpose for everyone, but just because you said a prayer doesn't make it automatic. Jesus says, the scripture says, you will seek me and find me if you seek me with, help me somebody, all your heart, not half your heart, not 25%, not once on Sundays, and the rest of the week you're doing your own thing. You're never going to figure out God's plan for your life until you surrender it all to him. And if you don't, if you give him anything less than your all, you are developing spiritual butterfingers. The ball is coming to you. You're going to drop it every single time. We talked about how and why to avoid the juicy fruit of gossip. Proverbs 26.20 says, without wood, a fire goes out, and without gossip, quarrels disappear. And so I encourage our church and those who are listening, listen, don't, don't partake in gossip. It will tear a church apart. Amen? And so if, even if you hit, it peaks up, you hear something juicy, just walk away. Just walk away. And then last week we talked about how to experience not the payday on this earth, but a spiritual payday. The ones that, the, that people are going for on this earth, the big house, the big car, the, you know, the picket fence, and you know, the big 401k, and then you know, at some point your, your life ends. Jesus gave a, an example of that in the scriptures where he said, a guy gathered all his stuff, and he says, I'm going to sit back, I'm going to relax and take it easy. And from heaven, the word from heaven was, you fool. This very day, your life is going to be uh, required of you. And who's going to, you know, spend all that stuff that you receive? And so in that message, I encourage you, uh, I mean, at the end of our stay at this earth, we don't want to hear you fool. We want to hear well done. Amen? Well done, my good and faithful servant. And Jesus said, this is, you fool is coming to everyone who's maybe rich in the things of this world, but not rich toward God. And God is not against us having riches. He's against riches having us. 
If he was against riches, he'd have to apologize for David and Solomon. Solomon was one of the richest people on the planet at the time. He's not concerned with that. He's concerned when the, the riches become a distraction in your life. And that's not just for rich people. For poor people, it's the same situation. They, 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 they get caught up. Jesus said, don't be like the pagans. He says, I want you to seek who, who every day they're trying to figure out what to wear, what to eat, and all this other stuff. He says, your heavenly father knows you, knows you need these things. What I want you to do is to seek first. Someone say first. First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he says, and I guarantee you, all these things will be added to you. God knows what you need. Do you believe that? God knows your needs. God knows your needs. And so he invites us to, to put them first. Well, today, depend, depending on your palate and your ability to tolerate, we focus on a different kind of uh, tasty treat. It's not a chocolate like the other ones have been. But it's called Warheads. Anyone ever heard of Warheads? Raise your hand if you heard of Warheads, right? And so the Warheads, it, it's like a sour and tasty treat. You see the face? You see the face? Now, I was a little bit concerned because when my kids were smaller, Ricky, Ricky loved these Warheads. He loved them. And so, and he would eat them so much, I, I participated too, that the layer of your tongue will come off and the top of your roof. And so I was concerned to give them out because I'm like, I can't give this out to the church. <laughs> but the new ones, they've calmed it down just a little bit, just a little bit. So it's not going to take off the layers of your tongue. <laughs> and so she was going to give out two each. I said, no, just put one on there. We don't want any incidences. <laughs> but it causes you, it, 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 it's appropriately named warheads because when you suck on them, it feels like an assault on your taste buds. It, it makes you, you're, you'll start to make faces and you might even break out in a sweat and you feel like your head's going to explode. And so someone said, nah, I'll pass this one on to the kids. <laughs> you, you, you just keep the, keep the scripture and memorize that. You can hand this candy off if you want to. But to me, these are similar signs of when people are kind of getting angry. Out of control anger. Your pulse starts to race. Your face gets red and maybe distorted. You feel like your head is going to explode. And so, and so in this lesson, we're going to be learning how not to blow our tops and in the, and in the process compromise our witness or worse. It, it kind of reminded me of a story I, I was told about a guy who was pulled over by the police in question. Not exactly knowing why he was pulled over. He asked, sir, young people, young people, pay attention. Pay attention. He said, he, pull, he, he, he pulled him over, and he didn't know why he was being questioned. And so he asked, sir, what did I do? The officer replied, well, when I noticed you yelling and giving the finger to the guy in the car next to you, I then saw your I Love Jesus bumper sticker, and I figured the car was stolen. <laughs> and so I pulled you over. Now, now of course, none of us would do anything like that, right? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. But honestly, have you, ever, have you ever lost your temper? I mean, who hasn't? Do you ever do things that you wish you hadn't done and said things you wish you never said? Now, can I be honest with you just for a moment? I mean, last few weeks, it's been kind of difficult around here. We've had funerals. We've had floods in the back of the church. I mean, a lot of, a lot of members of the church were affected by it. I visited multiple people in the hospital. And so one day I was driving home. I think it was on 95 or 75. I think it was 95 because usually I take 95. 
And I got behind somebody who was going slower than I was wanted to go. And so I put on my blink, I checked, and I went to turn into the next lane to go around them. And next thing I know, they swerve into my lane. I said, okay. And so I went a little further, put on my blinker to go to the right. I went to the right. Next thing you know, they swerve into my lane again. I said, okay. Put on my blinker again. I go to swerve, go into the next lane, and I cut back. They went over and cut back. And in that moment, something clicked. And I laid on my horn, because I figured some young dude is messing with me. And I, bam, bam, get out of my way. And then all of a sudden, they corrected. And I pulled up next to it to see the young person who's doing it. And it was a lady on the phone. And in that moment, I thought to myself, oh, man, I hope she doesn't see my church bumper sticker on the back of my car. <laughs> Sometimes we get triggered, don't we? Well, the Bible has a lot to say about this particular issue. In Proverbs 19.11, he says, A man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. The New Living says it this way, People with good sense restrain their anger and they earn esteem by overlooking wrongs. And now therein lies the secret, I believe, to dealing with many of our potential angry outbursts. If someone offends you, and if you're a man and a woman of wisdom or of good sense, then we should be able to overlook some things, amen? Or at least not allow the situation to become a major dramatic event in our lives that may eventually overwhelm us or lead us to unintended consequences. Now, on the light side of an unintended consequence, when you lose your lose control and you get angry, you may hurt someone's feelings. A little bit up that scale, you, it might be someone in your home and it might cause a relationship to break up because of it. On a more severe side of that scale, those unintended consequences can be seen in people going postal and hospital rooms start to fill up. Prison population is full of people who can't control their anger and the graveyards are full of people as a result of people getting angry. Come on, somebody. Anybody watching the news lately? Is it just my imagination or does it seem like every single day? Crazy is showing up somewhere in some situation. I, I, I saw one, a guy got deported four or five times and just walked back into our country because our borders are supposedly closed, but got back here four or five times, was shooting off a weapon, and the neighbors had a child that was trying to sleep, and they went out and they simply asked, sir, can you stop because my baby's trying to sleep? And this man decided, and some say he was drunk, to take the, those weapons, go to the house, and, and kill everyone in that house. One of them was a nine-year-old child. A few weeks ago, Crazy walked into a Christian school and killed six people, three of them children, one of them the pastor's only daughter. How does that happen? Well, Paul gives us a clue in Ephesians. And he says in Ephesians 4.26, he says, In your anger, do not sin. 
and do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. The New Living says, and don't sin by letting anger, what's the word? Control you. And don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. And Jesus forewarned us as to what happens when we give place to the devil in any area of our lives. And this is written to Christians. He says John, John, in John 10.10, because somebody said, well, no, I'm a, I'm a believer and I can't, give, I can't give place to the devil at all because I prayed a prayer. This is written to Christians. It is possible even after you prayed a prayer to give room to the, for the devil to, to take up residence in your life. In John 10.10, 10, Jesus tells us, he says, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. And who is the thief he's referring to? He's talking about the devil. He's talking about Satan. And he says, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Newsflash, according to Jesus, who would know, he's telling us what the devil's MO is. He's coming to our lives to steal, kill, and destroy, to steal our joy, to kill our witness, and destroy our lives, or to get us to kill ourselves or other people in the process. And he'll take whatever he can get. If he can get you hooked on something or compromising in some area, if he can get you to believe a, a, a lie, like you're a man trapped in a woman's body or a woman trapped in a man's body. And they insist on the world going along with this delusion. It's a lie straight from the pit of hell. Smells like smoke. Or the lie... The pastor, Rick, you understand, I mean, everyone is doing it. Everyone's hitting the weed and everyone's partying. Everyone's sleeping around. And so you believe that lie and, and then you jump into a situation where you open the door for the devil to come into your life. I don't care if you said a prayer in VBS when you were six. You can still give place to the devil in your lives. And then what he does is he just sits back and watches you destroy your own life. And he's got multiple ways of doing it. And unchecked anger is just one of many. Now, as I looked at the subject of anger, I discovered there are four types of anger that the Bible talks about and deals with, four different ways given to us so that potentially we don't blow our tops because he also gives us the solution and in the process, blow our witness, and in extreme cases, blow people away. And don't tell me it's not happening. I've been watching the news every day. Because it seems that in this society, there are anger issues, warhead situations, if you will, that we need to identify and diffuse. And so for the next few moments, we're going to go over four warhead situations and the solutions that the Bible gives to dealing with it. The first one is sudden anger. Or you could put somewhere next to that a click temper. A click temper. And the solution the Bible tells us is that we need to get to a place where we can control it. And a click temper to me is someone who has the ability to go from zero to stupid in no time at all. 
Proverbs 14, 17 says, a quick-tempered man, and I'm going to say just the man is just general because it's not just men or women, does foolish things. And so we like to blame our quick temper or our click temper on a lot of things. It, it, back in the day, it was the, the thing to do is to blame everything on your mama, right? It's because of a bad upbringing from your mama or you got daddy issues. And then it became popular to blame it on your heritage. I'm Irish, or I'm, I'm, I'm Hispanic, or, or I'm Italian. You don't understand. I'm, I'm Caribbean. This is how we deal with things. And we may even be proud of the fact that this is who I identify with. But the bottom line is, if we have a short fuse, I don't care where you're from or why you're doing it, you're going to do and say a lot of foolish things and potentially hurtful things, and you're going to hurt a lot of people in the wake. And so the Bible tells us that we need to get to a place in our lives where we control it. Proverbs 15, 18, people with quick tempers cause trouble, but those who control their tempers stop a quarrel. Listen to me, friends. We absolutely have to get to a place in our lives where we control it, and it doesn't control us. Chuck Swindoll, Chuck Swindoll, the famous preacher, he used to say, I got so angry that I gave him a piece of my mind, and it was a piece that I couldn't afford to lose. So how do we get to a place in our lives where we control that click temper? Well, here's one of them. Proverbs 18:13 says, he who answers before listening, this is his folly and his shame. The New Century Version says, anyone who answers without listening is foolish and confused. The Good News Translation says, listen before you answer. If you don't, you are being stupid and insulting. Turn to someone and say, don't be stupid. And it's not my words. The Bible says it. I didn't say it. The Bible says, how dare you call me stupid? I didn't call you stupid. <laughs> it's in the Bible. The message says this, answering before listening is both stupid and rude. Are you getting the picture? This passage is saying that if you don't take the time to listen to what someone is saying and you're constantly and instantly jumping to conclusions, oftentimes it's the wrong one. And when we do that, the Bible says it's to our own folly and shame and just plain stupid and rude. So one way to deal with that click temper is to train yourself before you speak is to listen. There's a reason my pastor said, the reason why God gave us two ears and just one mouth. If we learn to listen more before we start to respond. In other ways, in Proverbs 19, 19, it says, if someone has a hot temper, let him take the consequences. <laughs> if you get him out of trouble once, you will have to do it again. Now, of course, this passage is talking about allowing a person who won't control themselves to pay for their own mistakes. Why? So they can learn. If you're constantly bailing them out or covering up for them, it's not going to help them in the long run. And so if you're here today or listening to me under the sound of my voice, if you're raising a hot-tempered child, let them deal with the consequences of it while they're young. And hopefully they'll learn and grow out of it. I remember when my kids were younger, they're old now, they both have their own kids, and I used to, whenever I used them as an example, 
I used to have to pay my kids because they're like, you're always using us for an example. I said, I'll just pay you. I'll pay you $5. But Ricky and, and Amanda, my two oldest, I remember when they were young, they were preteens, and they were always going at it from time to time. They'd get on each other's nerves. And one time I was driving. We were going somewhere, Deborah's aunt's house. And they got into it in the back. And while I'm driving, there's not much you can do, right? What do you say? Stop it, stop it. Don't make me pull over. And then you start swinging like this, and then, you, and then, and then your car's doing this. And, and so finally, I just said, you know, I, I, I'm not going to do nothing at this point. And they started going at it, started with the names. And then the names started with the blows. And then the next thing you know, one of them, it's got, the other one's got a foot up against the, the, the head, and the head is pushed up, and the other one's got this one twisted up, and they're looking at me, aren't you going to stop us? <laughs> and I just decided I wasn't going to stop it. And we got to the place, and they were drenched. They, were, they, they had worked themselves out, you know. And I was like, and then after I stopped it, then, then I let them have it, you know? <laughs> but, but that was, in my memory, the last time they got into it in the car <laughs> because they had to work some things out. If you're going to allow your temper to get to that place, sometimes the best thing to do is just to let them deal with the consequences of it. Now, having said that, there are other consequences for having a hot temper to include the physical, especially those who haven't learned when they're younger. Because you saw in the videos, this, this one's yelling, this one's punching doors, this one's doing this sort of thing. Doctors tell us that losing our temper consistently can bring up many medical issues as well to include increased anxiety, high blood pressure, headaches, and even worse, and some in the medical field, especially the psychiatric field, they consider depression as anger turned inward. You just haven't dealt with it. You've just turned it on the inside of you. And, and so other consequences include potential loss of family and friends. In fact, the Bible encourages separation from someone with a click temper. Did you know that? In Proverbs 22, verse 24, it says, Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person, and do not associate, associate with one easily angered, and he tells us why, or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. In other words, it's contagious. Birds of a feather. You start picking up their ways, and next thing you know, you're getting in trouble with them. And so the penalties of losing our temper are many, and that's why the Bible says if you have a sudden temper, we've got to get to a place where we can control it. Well, Pastor Rick, I mean, I, you know, I don't think I can. Yes, you can. As the Bible says, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but what? A power and love and self-control. And so if the Holy Spirit is residing inside of you, you have the power, even if you've let the devil in at some point, to kick him out. Come on, somebody. Amen. But first, we need to admit it, recognize that there's a problem with our temper, because as long as we deny it and as long as we blame it on our heritage or, 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 or we, I just have a short fuse or it's because of my mama or my daddy, if it's everyone else's fault, you're never going to get to a place where you improve in this area. 
And then once you admit it, you confess it to the Lord and ask him to help me. Dear Lord, help me in this area. Deliver me from this situation. Amen? And so the first one is that sudden or click temper or anger. Number two, sinful anger. Sinful anger. And the solution is to condemn it. Because not all anger is sinful. We know that. We'll talk about that in a moment. But some anger is. So let me give you a test this morning to, tell, to help us determine whether it's sinful or not. Are you ready? Matthew 5.21 says, Jesus speaking, he says, You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. And so Jesus turned around and said, listen, we all know that if someone kills somebody, they're going to they're gonna be judged. There's a judgment coming. He says, and, and they're going to be condemned. But he says he took it from the actual action to the motive of the heart. I'm telling you because the thing that causes someone to murder someone is that spirit of anger. And he's brought it right to the heart issue. He says, I'm telling you, if anyone's angry with his brother, they're going to be subject to judgment. Now, that passage, again, tells us some things about anger that I think will help us realize what that anger or, or that sinful thing is. Now, notice, first of all, that it says anyone who's angry with his brother. Your first feeling is this. Is it directed at a brother or sister? Is it directed at a person? Is your anger directed as a person? What's he saying? If you're, if, if, if you're a brother or sister, or if you're someone's brother or sister, it indicates that you're a part of a family. And it's either a biological family or you're a part of a spiritual family, the family of God. And if we're brothers and sisters, the Bible says we ought to be lifting each other up, not tearing each other down. Amen? We should be helping each other and supporting each other and not spending our time being angry at one another. But let's take Jesus as an example. I don't believe in the scripture that I can point to anywhere where Jesus were, was angry at people. He was more so angry at what they did, their behavior, the, the sin that they were doing. You, you've heard it before, love the people, hate the sin. You've heard that before? So if your anger is focused on people rather than their behavior, you might be uh, in the sinful, angry category. To kind of better understand this text, we can read it in the King James Version. It says in Matthew 22, it says, But I say unto you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. So it's not just sinful to be directed at a person as opposed to a behavior. He says it's also sinful if you don't have a cause. It, there's, there's no reason for it. And someone says, well, why wouldn't I have a cause? Well, some people you ask them why they're mad, and then you get some stupid answers. Uh, uh, I don't know why I'm mad. Or, or, or I'm mad. Or, look at the way they dress. Or, or, or look, what, look, what, look at the, 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 the you know, the, 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 look from where they're from. You know, they're the, the, the Caribbean, or they're Jamaican, or they're Me Mexican, or they're Italian. Are you just mad at someone? There are some people who are mad at people for the pigment of their skin. Shades. These are stupid reasons. 
There are no good reasons at all. And so that's a problem. If you're mad at someone for no good reason, I don't like the way they, they comb their hair. I, I can't stand the way they talk. These are dumb, stupid reasons, okay? And so it's a problem. Let me give you the next one, Romans 12, 19. It says, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. And so the next test of anger is this. Are you, is your anger one that wants to seek revenge? I'll show them. I'll make them pay for what they said or what they did to me. In other words, are you always trying to get even with what someone said or did? Sometimes we put people in a bubble because they said something you don't like and you ignore them and you treat them like they don't exist. Sometimes we, we, the young people today, they, they go on social media. I'll show them, and you start trashing their name and start making up stuff about them. Is your anger one that's causing you to seek revenge? The Bible says that, that God is the one who has the right of vengeance, not us. He says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. We don't actually have a right to repay anyone evil for evil. Now, I'm not saying become a doormat, but in many cases, what God is expecting us to do is to simply turn them over to God. Amen? How many know that God's arms are a whole lot longer than yours? A lot of times, we want to deal with it. I'll show them all this and that, and then you get into the eye for an eye, the tooth for the tooth nonsense, where everyone is blind and toothless walking around. (laughs) He says, instead, what I want you to do is leave room for me. And God knows how to reach out and touch someone. And it will be a holy touch. It, it, it will be right because he, he sees things about people that you don't see because he's got the eagle eye view. He knows why they're in a bad mood. He knows what happened to them when they were three and seven and 10 that caused them not to trust or to be angry at this person last week. And so when God brings a judgment, his judgment is always right. We only go by what we see. They were mean to me. They said something nasty or whatever. But he sees the big picture. So he says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Leave room for God. So if our anger is good, towards seeking revenge, then also it's it's potentially sinful anger. The next one is, is it cherished? Is it a cherished anger? And if it's a vengeful one, then it's most likely it's also an anger that's cherished. Now, what do I mean by that? You remember when Jesus said to the man who was by the pool waiting to be healed, and he was there, he was an invalid, he was there for 38 years, and it was believed that uh, uh, this pool was in Bethesda, that an angel will come down once a year and stir the water. And so all the sick and invalids would go by this water, and they would wait for the stirring of the water. And generally, the first person who got in was the one who got healed. Well, this place was full of sick people, and there was a man that was there who was sick, the Bible says, for 38 years. And so Jesus went up to him, and he says, Do you want to be healed? 
And he says, yes, Lord, I want to be healed, but I have no one to help me to go in the water. And every time it stirs, he's trying to get in there, and someone else jumps in, and they get the healing. 38 years he was in that condition, and Jesus went ahead and healed him. Now watch this. Jesus asked him, do you want to be healed? And that's an important question because, listen to me, there are a lot of people, listen to me, who enjoy being sick. Why? Because of the attention it gets them, or for some people that are on disability in this country, come up for the prayer line. You got a chronic issue. No, I might get healed and I'll lose my disability <laughs> payment. You know, there's some people, you know, for whatever reason, they just enjoy being in that situation. They don't want things to change. And in the same way, there's a lot of people who love being angry. They've been angry for years. Inside of them is this boiling mass of anger and bitterness, and they, and they intend on hanging on to it to the day they die. And in some cases, it becomes generational. Anyone ever heard of the Hatfields and the McCoys? There's a, there's a, re, a resurgence of the show of the, uh, the descendants who are still feuding today. And I went ahead and looked them up. It says the Hatfields and the McCoys were two American Appalachian mountaineer families who, with their kinfolk and neighbors, engaged in a, legend, a legendary feud that attracted nationwide attention in the 1880s and 90s and prompted judicial and police actions, one of which drew an appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court. The Hatfields were headed by the William Anderson Hatfield and the McCoys by Randolph uh, McCoy, each of whom fathered 13 children. Some sources claim 16 for the McCoys. The families lived on opposite sides of the border stream, the Tug Fork, the McCoys in the Pike County, Kentucky, the Hatfields in West Virginia. Each had numerous kinfolk and allies in the respective counties in which they lived. And the origins of their, uh, of their feud are obscure. Some think it was attributed to the hostilities formed during the American Civil War in which the McCoys were Unionists and the Hatfields were Confederates. But others say, and this is generally what they believe, Randall McCoys believed that a Hatfield stole one of his hogs in 1878. Can you imagine? Years-long feud from a hog being stolen. And where did it go from there? This went from name-calling to fights to kidnapping to people getting killed, multiple people getting killed. And they're holding on to this grudge forever and ever, amen. You know why? Because it was a cherished anger. This is just something they do. And when I saw it on coming up again, now the great-great-grandchildren and the feuding, I'm like, what could you possibly have against someone who stole a hog, you know, 40 years ago? But it became a blood feud after so much time. So if your anger is cherished, it is most certainly a sinful anger, something you're holding on to forever and ever and amen. And if it's a cherished anger, it will also be an anger, write this down, 
which is an un, with an unforgiving spirit, with an unforgiving spirit. And the secret to getting rid of that type of anger is to be able to simply forgive. And if you can't forgive and you can't release it, it's sinful. Because God has forgiven you of everything you've done. Amen? And so the five tests to tell whether or not your anger is sinful is, is it directed toward a person as opposed to a behavior? Uh, love the people, hate the sin. Is it anger that without a justifiable cause, there's really no reason for it, or the reason is just plain stupid? Is it an anger that seeks vengeance? I'll show them. Is it an anger that's cherished? And is it an anger with an unforgiving spirit? If the answer to any of those questions is yes, then your anger is a sinful anger, and the Bible says it has to be condemned. Don't nurse it. Don't rehearse it. Don't keep going over it. Condemn it and get rid of it in your life. We need to repent of those type of anger and ask God to forgive us and allow us to become forgiving people. Let me give you number three, the third type of anger that's out there that the Bible talks about, and it's called a stubborn anger, a stubborn anger. And it's similar to the cherished one, but the solution is we have to conquer it. A stubborn anger is an anger that stays there day after day after day. Now, let me remind you of what the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 4.26. He says, in your anger, do not sin and do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Now, now how can I explain this when you heard it in the video? One day you go home and you're angry. And you're carrying a chip on your shoulder for really no good reason, but you're just waiting for someone to say something that's going to set you off. And then your wife or your husband invariably says something that you don't particularly appreciate. And before you know it, you're in in heated words that are being exchanged with one another. And it really doesn't amount to much, but you're determined to get your way, and she's determined to get her way. So the argument continues well into the evening. The sun goes down, and nighttime comes, and now you're laying in bed, and you're no longer cuddling. You're on the opposite sides of the bed, turned away from each other, making sure that no one touches anyone. Now, in that moment, the Bible makes it very clear that you're in danger. Why? Because because all the devil needs is a foothold. Have you ever thought about what a foothold looks like? Close the door and put your foot in that door. That's it. That's it. You have just, you might as well have put a, a, a welcome sign. Mr. Devil, come right on in and mess with my family, mess with his head, mess with her head. Just come right on in. You are welcome here. And the apostle Paul mentions what happens when the devil is let in and begins to do his dirty work in verse 31 of that same chapter because he admonishes us to get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander along with every form of malice. And that's kind of an order of where it goes. The first result is bitterness. You begin to think about all the bad things that people have said or done to you, all the insults, all the inconsiderate things, and you just go on and on. 
And that bitterness turns to rage. And rage is bitterness boiling over and, and anger is, is, is coming out. It's being expressed. And, and now you begin to kick the cat and hit the walls. And now you begin to say all kinds of things until finally it becomes brawling, which means fighting or quarreling or, or rough in a rough or noisy way. And from that it goes to slander and insults. And the end result of it all, Paul says, is malice. That's not a term that we use much today. But if you look up the word malice, it's an interesting word. Let's, let's put it up there just for a moment. Malice means the intention or desire to do evil or ill will. Now malice is formed in your heart toward that person whom you're supposed to love and care about. And the devil has taken up residence, and now he's whispering in your ear because now your intention is not for their good. I'll show them. I'll teach them. They will never do this to me again. You, and if you're in a marriage, it's the War of the Roses. Remember that movie, 1989, 2005? It's Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Those were comedic uh, takes our marriage is going bad, but what's not funny is when we see it in real life and we read about someone shooting his wife or turning a gun on himself because the ultimate end of stubborn anger is malice. Paul says you need to get rid of stubborn anger. And he tells us how. He says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. And I always like to point out, how long does it take for a son to run through a cycle? Say again? 24 hours. And sun up to sundown is 12. So you got 24 hours to be angry. And after that, the Lord says, deal with it. Because if you don't, I'm coming in, says Mr. Devil, in your life. Keep short accounts. Verse 32 says in Ephesians, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ, just as in Christ God forgave you. So first of all, there's sudden anger. And the Bible tells us to control it. Then there's sinful anger. And the Bible says to condemn it. And then there's stubborn anger, and the Bible says we need to conquer that. But there is one type of anger that is acceptable. Anybody interested in knowing what the acceptable version of anger is? It's called a sanctified anger. And the solution is to channel it. To channel it. Ephesians 4.26, be angry, it says, and sin not. And so he's telling us it's okay to be angry, but it's not okay to take that anger into a sinful behavior. This type of anger could be seen in Mark chapter 3 in the life of Jesus. As we're getting to a close this morning, I want us to just look at this chapter. It says Mark 3 verse 1. It says, another time he went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. And so in our culture, this goes over our head. What's the big deal if he heals on a Sabbath? 
Well, in the Jewish culture, it was strictly forbidden to do any type of work on the Sabbath. Six days you have to work, on the seventh you will rest, and they will rest from all their work. That's why you see even when the, uh, with uh, Jewish communities, you'll see them walking to synagogue. Why are they walk, walking to synagogue? To me, it makes no sense because they think they, they were told that the turning of the engine of the car, the firing of the engine consider, is, is considering work, so they won't do that. So instead, what they do, they, they'll walk. Now, to me, it's more work to walk <laughs> than it is to get in my car and just drive over there. But they take this thing seriously. Even with the person who was healed at the pool of Siloam, uh, Jesus said, take up your mat and, 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 and go home. Well, it was on the Sabbath. And so the dude who was 38 years is crippled, and Jesus heals him, picks up his mat, and he starts walking. And the, and the Jewish people says, the Pharisees said, what are you doing? You're not supposed to be working on the Sabbath. Why are you carrying your mat? And he says, well, the man who healed me told me, to pick up my mat. Who was that? He said, I don't know. He gave me his name. And then Jesus called him in the synagogue afterwards and let him know who he was. So, so similar situation right now. Jesus is in front of a church. There's a man with a shriveled hand there. Some of them are looking at a reason to accuse him, and so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath because in their mind, that's work. So Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. And then he turned to the crowd and he asked them this question, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. And he looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their what? Stubborn hearts. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And in the process, he stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. And so the Bible tells us that there was a period in Jesus' life, and there were others, where he became angry and deeply distressed. But what was he distressed at? At the condition of their hearts. Because the focus of his anger was on their hearts and, and, and because they were stubborn and unrepentant. They had already at some point in their lives given place to the devil and he had taken up residence and established a foothold in their lives. And this made Jesus angry. Was it a sinful anger? Absolutely not. Because Jesus never sinned. This was what we call a sanctified or righteous anger, righteous indignation, and it was channeled, and it had the right focus, and it had the right objective. So there's nothing wrong with this type of anger. We saw it when he flipped over tables, uh, when he went into his father's house, and they were selling, um, you know, animals and all sorts of stuff, and he says, you've turned my father's house into a den of thieves. They become calloused and corrupt in their hearts and did not care about the people. And we see the same thing in the world today, i.e., we've got people who are engaging in child pornography. we got multiple millions of people who, even though Roe v. Wade was knocked down by the Supreme Court, there are still millions of babies being aborted. They're using now over-the-counter pills to do it. We have elderly abuse. We have world hunger and exploitation of children. 
child sex slavery industry slated to, to overtake the, the drug industry, I saw it on the news, which is thriving in our country. Someone say 85,000. 85,000 children have come across the border in the last two years. They know it. They've registered them. 85,000 children who've crossed our borders have gone missing. MIA. Our government cannot account for where they are. I spoke to a young Asian girl sometime last year. She, when I was looking for a youth person, she was in her 20s, 23, 24, and she was applying for that position. But part of her testimony was this. She was adopted from China as a child. And as she got a little older, her adoptive family pimped her out as a prostitute. And she didn't break away from that until she was 17. In this country. In this country. till she was 17 years old. If you want to get mad, get mad at those things. Get mad at the targeted grooming and confusing of our children concerning their sexual identity. There's only two. And the parties who are pushing it. Get mad at the deadbeat parents who bring children into this world and don't support them. Get mad at the drugs and alcohol and fentanyl that's flooding our streets and killing our young people. I am tired of doing funerals for young people. If you're going to get mad, get mad at the devil who sows division in our homes and in our churches and in our communities so so easily gets away with it because we refuse to apply biblical principles to solving conflict or the decisions that we make on a day-to-day basis. We don't see a problem with a a preacher, a so-called preacher in Georgia who claims that God is okay with killing babies. We elect them to senator. Get mad at that. Get mad at the watered-down pulpits in our country who are more concerned with offending people than they are about offending God because you never hear any subject. They don't want to talk about it in the church because they're afraid of offending people. And they remain silent on most issues of what's going on today because someone in their church said, well, that's politics. You shouldn't talk about politics. No, it's Bible. Listen, if you're in a church, and if you're listening to me online, if you're in a church that absolutely will not speak to the issues of today, get out of that church immediately. And if you really want to get mad, let's get mad at ourselves for allowing the demonic distractions to come into our lives, taking us off with the great commission, which is to go into all the world and preach the gospel, because there are thousands and even millions of people who are going into a crisis eternity. And those of us who won't walk after the great commandment, which says to love God with all our hearts, all our souls, and all our minds, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Friends, it's time for the church to get angry. But it needs to be a sanctified anger, a holy anger, an anger that's channeled in the right places. Can I just remind you of what Jesus said in the book of Revelation to the Laodicean church? He looked at them, or or he spoke through John the Revelator, 
And he said, I would rather you were hot or cold. He said, because you're lukewarm. You know what lukewarm means? You got one foot squarely in the world and one foot squarely in the church. He says, because you're lukewarm, I will vomit you out. The scripture calls us not to be a lukewarm church. Amen? As a matter of fact, he says, I would rather you were hot or cold. I would rather you were with me, all the way with me, or all the way against me. But that lukewarm, in the middle, you know, pasty, you know, milk toast approach, he says, no, that's not, that's not what I've called you to be. So there are all kinds of anger. And if you're wrestling with any of them, God promises to give us the victory if we will let him. So be angry, but don't sin. And don't let the sun go down on your anger, and don't allow the devil to have a foothold in your life, in your home, with your family. Instead, channel that anger so, that you, so it can begin to accomplish the victories for Jesus in our lifetime. And so today, the invitation is simple. Come to the same Jesus this morning. Lay down the first three non-productive, impossible, destructive forms of warheads and anger and pick up that last one, the righteous indignation, the warhead of peace, peace with God and the peace of God that Christ promised to all who would come to him if we would but taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen? But we have to get to that place. And so he's not saying don't be angry. Yes, be angry, but be angry at the right things. It's not at people. Love, love the people, but hate the sin. And allow God to channel that anger into something that's going to make some changes. And I'm going to get involved with things that are going to help rather than things that are going to hurt. But it all starts with first saying, I want Jesus in my life. I need Jesus in my life. Amen? The Bible says to taste and see that the Lord is good. And he's good for us. And blessed is every man who takes refuge in him. God wants you to be blessed. It's not automatic, though. It, it means I'm going to approach him with all my heart. And I'm going to say, Lord, I surrender it all to you. I want your discernment. I want, to, I want to be happy about the things that make you happy. And Lord, I need to be upset. I need to be upset about the things that make you upset. And I want to channel those things in the right directions so I'm not caught up in the first three type that go nowhere or, or worse, cause damage to your witness, your reputation to someone else, or in the end, the, G, G, Jesus said the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that, that you might have life and that life to the fullest. So God's call us to put our trust in him, in Jesus, and surrender our life to him, and in the process of us doing that, he says, I will come in, I will be your, I will be. I will be your God, you will be my people, and he will lead us and he will guide us into all truth. Amen?
So let's bow our heads and close our eyes and say something like this from our heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I come before you today and I acknowledge my need for a Savior. I thank you that 2,000 years ago you sent your son to die on the cross for me. And I ask you, Lord, to forgive me of my sins, to cleanse me of all unrighteousness, to be my Lord and my Savior. I put my faith and trust in you. And while every head is bowed and every eye is closed, what does your anger look like? Is it any of the first three, stubborn or sinful? Do you have a click temper? God is asking you to deal with it today. Call it what it is. Don't rationalize. Don't justify it. Don't make excuses for it. Ask God to help you with it. My Bible says if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. God is not trying to hurt us at any point. He's trying to help us. And if we've given place or foothold to the devil, and you can do that even as a Christian, it's time to shut the door and keep out the devil. Amen? And so, so right now, I say, Lord, as I confess my temper, I need your help. I'm asking for your wisdom, your discernment. I want to be the man of God you call me to be, the woman of God you call me to be. For such a time as now, I want to be used by you mightily. Help me to control this important part of my life. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Thank you so very much for listening to this message. We hope you were truly blessed. If you were, please subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already and share it with a friend. Doing so will cause the seeds of God's word and the message of his love to spread like wildfire. So thanks again for partnering with us in this important way. Stay thirsty for Christ, my friends, until the whole world hears. God bless.